0: Last week, uh, we witnessed the ordination of Aaron and his sons as priests to Yahweh. We learned that their primary service would be helping people to draw near to Yahweh, and that they would be doing this by preparing and helping to offer animal sacrifices on their behalf. But why? Why does God require animal sacrifice, and what is it supposed to accomplish? We don't always know what to do with the sacrificial system. This slaughtering of animals and sprinkling of blood, it's so foreign to our idea of a worship service. Usually we just shrug our shoulders and say, well, that sounds like a lot of messy work. must have been really hard to be an Israelite. Good thing Jesus came and put an end to all that stuff so we don't have to think about it now. But that approach won't work because the New Testament is filled with allusions and references to and direct quotations from the Old Covenant sacrificial system. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I am already being poured out as a drink offering. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. Offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That language from the New Testament, all that language is from the sacrificial system of Israel. These are the categories by which the Jewish apostles made sense of the new and mysterious work that God had done amongst them in Jesus Christ. And of course, we all know that at the very heart of the gospel, we find a sacrifice. Christ on the cross, the Lamb of God for sinners slain. So if we want to fully grasp who Jesus is and what he has done for us, we have to grapple with the sacrificial system. And so we'll be in the book of Leviticus today. Chapter one seems like a good place to start. So let me pray for us as we turn there. Blessed Lord, who caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Leviticus is part of the law, part of the word of God that was revealed to Moses on Mount Sinai, and the first few chapters of this book describe the offerings and sacrifices God told Israel to offer him. Now, before we read some of Leviticus 1, I want, to, I want you to know something about the Hebrew here. The Hebrew word that is translated offering in your Bible is the word korban. And the literal meaning is that which is brought near, that which is brought near. It's the same root as the word karav, which is translated as bring in your Bibles. It's just the verb form, bring. Uh, but actually, to bring near would be even better. And I point this out because there's this repetition of this idea, and it's not as apparent in the English translation, but I'm going to give you a very literal translation. It's a little bit awkward, but it makes this repetition come out better. So Leviticus 1, beginning at verse 1. Yahweh called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings near that which is brought near to Yahweh, you shall bring near that which is brought near of the livestock from the herd or from the flock. I do that because I want you to see that the purpose of the offerings is to draw near. Now when you think about it, this has been the purpose of the tabernacle and the priest's garments and the ordination of the priests all these things we've been looking at the past few weeks. It's their purpose as well, to bring God's people near to him. The sacrifices are the way that God draws his people near to him as well. And this is, I think, a helpful clarification for us. Sacrifice is not just about paying the penalty for sin with death. It's not just about paying tribute to God. That's what we often think of when we hear the word sacrifice. And those are aspects of some of the offerings. But all the offerings are about drawing near to God, all are about bringing near that which is brought near. And that's what the Hebrew words mean. We quoted Exodus 29, verse 46 last week, God's motivation for the Exodus. He says, I am Yahweh their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. From the garden to Mount Sinai, God's purpose has been to draw his people near and dwell with them. And the way God accomplishes that goal is by calling Israel to draw near and bring near that which is brought near in the sacrificial system. So these offerings, these sacrifices, they are about primarily drawing near to God. And when the worshiper draws near and brings near that which is brought near, he brings an animal. And there are different types of offerings, and there are different animals used in the different types. And it's important that we kind of try to make sense of these and understand how each of these offerings is unique uh, so that we can better understand what it's representing, what's being shown forth in these offerings. So we're going to talk about them. The first type of offering described in Leviticus is the most common and kind of the most foundational type of offering. Most English translations call it the burnt offering, or maybe the whole burnt offering. And they call it that because the unique aspect of this offering is that the whole animal is completely burned up on the altar. We see this unique aspect described in Leviticus 1 verse 9, and the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But burnt offering is not really the best name for it. That is what happens to the offering, but that's not what the Hebrew name for the offering means. The Hebrew word is olah, and it is the noun form of the verb that means to ascend or to go up. So a more literal translation would be an ascension offering. Now it's true, this offering is wholly burnt up, but the primary emphasis is on the ascension What ascension are we talking about? Well, let's think about what happens when you burn something on the grill. I'm sure just having the 4th of July weekend, many of you are familiar with this, right? What happens when you burn something on the grill, which is what the altar is? When the offering is completely burned on the altar, it turns into smoke, and it ascends. That's what smoke does. And now we have to remind ourselves Where is this ascension taking place? Well, it occurs on the altar, which we have said is a type of Mount Sinai. It's molded bronze rising out of the earth. And on this altar, there is fire and smoke, just as it was on Mount Sinai when the cloud of Yahweh's presence descended on that altar. We also remember that the tabernacle complex is itself a symbolic Mount Sinai. It's a portable Mount Sinai. We also remember that the tabernacle is a symbolic heaven on earth where the heavenly God comes to dwell in the most holy place. So if we're there making this offering in this space and the smoke of this offering is ascending, to where does this offering ascend? It ascends into God's presence, doesn't it? It the smoke of the offering ascends into the fiery cloud of God's presence and joins with that cloud. So, like Moses climbing Mount Sinai to enter the glory cloud of Yahweh, like the high priest ascending to the most holy place to enter the presence of Yahweh, this ascension offering does that same thing. It follows that same path, ascends up the mountain, into the holy place, into the presence of Yahweh. Not only that, we are told this ascension offering is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to Yahweh. And now, this is so important. So, if you remember one thing from this sermon, this would be a good one. All the offerings are meals, all the sacrifices are meals. And if you read through Leviticus, you'll hear that refrain after every one over and over again. It is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. You see, we often make a mistake as modern readers here. We, we oversimplify. We think all these offerings are only about the death of the animal, that they're nothing more than killing an animal to pay the penalty for our sins, I recently heard a Bible teacher say that the sacrifices are basically just a way for Israel to say, I'm sorry to God. And so you get this idea that the sacrificial system was really negative and sad and depressing. As theologian Dwight Schrute would say, false. German theologian, I think. False. That's wrong. Now, the death of the animal is important, and that death of the animal does represent paying the penalty for sin, but that's only one step in the process, isn't it? If that was all God was concerned with, all you need to do is kill the animal, and the ritual is over, the penalty has been paid. But look at all this other stuff that happens, Leviticus 1:6. Then he shall flay the ascension offering and cut it into pieces. And the sons of Aaron the priest shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall arrange the pieces, the head, and the fat on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. None of that stuff is necessary to kill the animal, to pay the penalty for sin, right? The animal's already dead. What are they doing? They're preparing a meal. They flay the meat. They lay out the choice cuts on the grill. Then they get the flame to the right temperature to cook the meat. These offerings, these sacrifices, are first and foremost meals with God. As the text repeatedly says, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to Yahweh. So don't think of the sacrifices as a funeral. Think of them as a barbecue. It's the Father's feast with his people. This is what scripture tells us. So, with this ascension offering, it's not just that the offering is ascending in smoke to Yahweh, it's actually being taken into Yahweh, isn't it? It's being consumed by the consuming fire himself. It's a meal for Yahweh. He draws the smoke and the aroma into his nostrils. His consuming fire devours the meat. That's what he does with the ascension. And then he leans back in his chair and he says, yum, that was delicious. That was a food offering with a pleasing aroma to me. Now, all that imagery brings us to one of the confusing things for us about these sacrifices. Did the Israelites really think that God had a body and that he was actually eating these offerings? Well, the ancient Israelites knew as well as you and I do that God doesn't have physical nostrils or or a mouth or a stomach as you and I do. And they also understood how metaphors and symbolism work. They understood that this is a symbolic action. But this symbolism is necessary. I mean, how else are we finite human beings going to talk about and think about the infinite and eternal God if not by speaking of him in human terms, right? And God comes down to our level, and he allows us to do this. He even speaks this way of himself, And so metaphors like this are all over the Old Testament. God strikes Egypt with his mighty hand. He redeems Israel with an outstretched arm. Under his feet there is a pavement of sapphire stone. Smoke goes up from his nostrils, devouring fire from his mouth. We use all these human metaphors to describe God's action in the world. And and the sacrifices are a similar sort of situation. They take what's a very ordinary uh, experience of our existence and what is actually the primary way that we draw near to one another and commune with one another cooking and eating meals right and so God uses that same image in these sacrifices to help his people relate to him and draw near to him and learn about him and experience him and that brings us to another important aspect of these offerings. The animals are substitutes for human worshipers. The animals are substitutes for human worshipers. Look back at the beginning of Leviticus 1. Who's the subject of all these sentences? Verse 3, If his near bringing is an ascension from the herd, he shall bring near a male without blemish. He shall bring it near to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before Yahweh. He shall lay his hand on the head of the ascension and it shall be accepted for him to cover him. Then he shall kill the bull before Yahweh. Who's that he? It's not the priest. It's the worshiper. The worshiper brings an animal from his own flock that he has raised. And when he comes to the tabernacle, he lays his hands on that animal's head. He leans on the animal, almost as if he's about to ride that animal all the way into the holy place. It's a way of saying, this, this animal, this is me. This animal is identified with me. It represents me. It stands in my place. Now, you know the answer to this next one. Where did Israel learn that animal uh, offerings substitute for human offerings? Abraham and Isaac, right? Back in Genesis 22, God called Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac. But he stopped Abraham from doing so, and he provided a ram to be sacrificed in his place. So Israel knew, at least from that point, probably before, that animal offerings are substitute for human offerings. So if these animal sacrifices are actually standing in for the worshiper, what does that mean? That means it's the worshiper who is being killed, and then it is the worshiper who is being prepared, and it is the worshiper who is laid out on the altar, and it is the worshiper Who is being consumed by the fire of Yahweh and yes it is the worshiper who then ascends to God's presence in smoke he climbs Mount Sinai he ascends into the most holy place he enters into the new garden and he does all these things symbolically through the animal which goes in his place so again the sacrifices are about God drawing his people Near to him and dwelling with them. The offering of the ascension is the worshipper giving themselves entirely to God, being consumed by God, welcomed into the very life of God. Now you see, we sometimes look at the sacrifices and we, we think that must have been such a burden for the people. All this, all these rules, all these animals, all this blood, so much blood and fire and smoke. But you have to remember they didn't have grocery stores in ancient Israel. They were used to this sort of thing. They were used to killing animals, cooking them for food. They did that all the time. It was no big deal for them. For them, the sacrifices were a blessing. They were a gift. Because they understood what was being symbolized in these rituals. They knew that this meant access to the Father. For them, this was the only way they could enter into the presence of the Holy One of Israel. The sacrificial system was Yahweh's gift so that Israel could draw near to him, so that he could dwell in their midst, so that he could bless them and care for them and be their God. So that's, that's the burnt offering or the ascension offering. It represents the worshiper being wholly consecrated to Yahweh, ascending into the Father's presence and being consumed by God, accepted by Him, and welcomed into His very life. Now, there are a few other offerings as well, and they're very similar to the ascension in what they represent, the human worshiper being offered to God, But they emphasize some other aspects of the uh, process, so we'll look at them as well. The second offering we'll look at is the sin offering, or sometimes called the purification offering. And what's unique about the purification offering, and what makes it different from the ascension, is that it focuses on the display of blood. We read the instructions for the purification offering in chapter 4. Leviticus 4.27 tells us, If any one of the common people sins unintentionally in doing any one of the things that by Yahweh's commandments ought not to be done and realizes his guilt, he shall bring for his offering a goat, a female, without blemish, for his sin which he has committed. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill the sin offering in the place of burnt offering. And the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out all the rest of its blood at the base of the altar. And the priest shall burn it on the altar for a pleasing aroma to Yahweh. And the priest shall make atonement for him and he shall be forgiven. So what's unique about the purification offering is this display of blood on the altar and around the altar. And if it's offered for the priest or for the people, they display the blood on the tabernacle as well. And its focus is on purifying the worshiper from two things, actually, from unintentional ritual cleanness, like if you touch a dead body or touch an unclean animal, the purification offering cleanses you of that, but also for forgiveness from actual intentional sins. You come and confess your sin and you uh, deal with that through the purification offering. See, us modern Christians, we tend to think all the sacrifices are about forgiveness of sins, but the reality is that only the purification offering is really focused on that. This is where the worshiper confesses sin and pays its penalty. And so it's the offering that displays the blood, much like Passover, the blood that says the son of the herd has died in the place of the son of the family, and thus God's just wrath against sin is satisfied. That's the purification offering. The third type of offering is what most Bibles call a grain offering, and we learn of this offering in Leviticus chapter 2. And again, it's labeled a grain offering because that's what it is. The offering is an offering of fine flour, and then there's oils and spices on it. You know what that is, right? That's bread. That's bread. Everybody knows you can't have a barbecue without Texas toast, so... That's the grain offering, right? Uh, But the Hebrew name of this offering is the mincha, and the idea here is tribute. Mincha often refers to gifts that are offered to kings as a sign of loyalty or fidelity. So that's kind of what's unique about the grain offering or tribute offering. For one, it's grain instead of an animal, and it's grain combined with oil and incense and salt Sometimes wine is also poured out with it as a drink offering. And these things represent God's provision to Israel. They are also the fruit of human labor, aren't they? The people of Israel have taken wheat and olives and sticks and rocks, and they've turned them into grain and oil and incense and salt. They've transformed creation in creative and God-honoring ways, and then they they take the fruit of their labor, and they offer it back to God as a what? As a meal, a meal of tribute for their king. Then the last major offering is the peace offering, the peace offering. And we read about this one in Leviticus chapter 3. Again, the peace offering is another animal sacrifice. And again, the worshiper lays his hands on it, identifying with the animal. And the animal is killed and blood is displayed. Again, it is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to Yahweh. So very similar to the other offerings in that sense. But here's how this peace offering is unique. It's unique in who gets to eat it. Unlike the other offerings, the worshiper gets to join God. In this meal and we learn that in Leviticus uh, chapter 7 actually Leviticus 7 verse 15 which says the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving shall be eaten on the day of his offering he shall not leave any of it until the morning the worshiper gets to eat of this offering it's a communion meal It's an offering offered to God, but then God turns around and he shares the meal with the worshiper. That's why it's a peace offering. You see, God's wrath has been set aside. That was all dealt with at the purification offering. And so now God is at peace with the worshiper. And he shows his grace and favor in sharing this meal with the worshiper. And through this meal, God revives and strengthens his people as they share it with him peace offerings are especially associated with the giving of thanks verse 15 called it the sacrifice of peace offerings for thanksgiving so in this meal of the shared meal of peace the worshiper thanks god for deliverance for his faithful provision for his grace and as with all occasions where God calls Israel to feast in his presence in Scripture, this was to be a time of joyful celebration. Again, Israel is not burdened by this sacrificial system. It was a gift to them. It allowed them access to the Father, and it granted them this amazing right to be eating with God, to be in fellowship with him, to be in communion with him. So these are the primary offerings That God gave to Israel in the law and now we presented them a little bit out of order Leviticus does the same thing but it's important to note that on important occasions like the ordination of a priest or in the regular gathered assembly of worship of the people of Israel or uh, times of national covenant renewal when they turned back to the Lord as a whole nation at these important times, they always did all of these offerings, and they always did them in a specific order, the same every time. And that order is significant too. And so we're going to look at that as well. And I think you'll notice that this order feels very similar to what we do in our service. So when all the sacrifices were offered, Israel always offered them in this order purification, ascension, tribute, and peace purification ascension tribute and peace and you can probably see the logic of this right if fallen humanity is to draw near to a holy god what's the very first thing that has to happen their sin must be dealt with so the purification offering is the first step in this dance the worshiper is cleansed of impurity their sins forgiven so that they can continue on this process of drawing near to god And having had their sins forgiven, the worshiper must be then consecrated, wholly given over to the Lord. And so the next step is the ascension offering. The worshiper, by means of their animal substitute, leaves the earth and ascends into God's heavenly presence to be near him. And having then ascended into God's presence, now the worshiper can offer tribute to God. They can offer the meal they have prepared for their covenant Lord. You have to be with him to do that. You have to ascend to be with him. And so the tribute offering comes next. And having been cleansed, having been consecrated, having ascended and brought tribute to the Lord, now the worshiper is at peace in God's presence. And so the final step is this peace offering. Now God can pour out his blessing and favor upon the worshiper, and he shares the meat of the peace offering with his guest. Do you see the transformation that takes place as the worshipper gives him or herself to this sacrificial pathway? Right? He begins far from God, but through the sacrifices he's drawn near into the very throne room of God. He begins a sinner outside the presence of God, he ends as a cherished guest at God's own table. He begins on earth. He ends in heaven. He begins with death. He ends being raised and revived in peace. This is nothing less than the gospel. And in the fullness of time, the Lord Jesus came to bring it to maturity and fulfillment. Not only to be our great high priest, but to be the greater sacrifice, the true human offering to God. God provided a ram in place of Isaac. God provided a lamb in place of Israel's firstborn sons. God provided offerings in place of the worshipers at tabernacle and temple. But when it came time to put death to death and redeem humanity once and for all, Paul tells us that God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. He elsewhere says, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And thus, the human offering that was prefigured in all these sacrifices was fully and finally offered in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus became our purification offering, right? He died in our place. His blood displayed upon the cross. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, as the Apostle Paul says. The author of Hebrews says, Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. Jesus became our purification offering. Jesus became our ascension offering. He was fully consecrated to the Lord, his whole life a life of faithfulness. Jesus was the only human being fully consumed by the fire of God. And having purified us of sin, having been resurrected, Jesus ascended into the heavenly places, the real heavenly places. And he took us with him, as Paul says in Ephesians 2.6. Jesus became our ascension offering. Jesus became our tribute. Jesus was himself the creation transformed, humanity redeemed. He didn't just take the fruit of humanity's labors. He took humanity itself, human flesh transformed, glorified, resurrected into the holy place. And he there offered it to God. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Jesus became our tribute offering. Jesus became our peace offering. Having satisfied the just wrath of God, he has brought us peace with God, as we confessed just this morning, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus is our peace offering. And the Father shares this meal with us each week. It's the sacrifice of thanksgiving, the Eucharist, the memorial meal of the once for all peace offering. Jesus is our peace offering. And so the greater sacrifice still draws us near to God along the same sacrificial pathway. Right? We do this every Sunday. Our worship follows the same pattern as historic Christian worship has since the beginning. First, God purifies us in the confession of sin. Then God consecrates us with the declaration of forgiveness, and we ascend to join the heavenly worship service where the Father draws us near and speaks to us from his word. Then God receives our tribute in our offering time as we return to him the fruits of our labors and pledge our faithfulness to him. And then finally, being at peace with God through the sacrifice of Christ, God shares a meal with us at his table in which he feeds us on the risen flesh and blood of the once-for-all sacrifice. That's why we worship the way we do. This is the pathway God has always used to draw his people near. So we continue on that sacrificial pathway even now. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Give yourselves to the transformative work of Christian worship today and every Lord's day. Come and lay your hands on the head of Christ, your substitute. Lean on him as he carries you through death, through the waters, through the fire, up the mountain, into the holy place, your priest, your sacrifice, your Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Christ, our sacrifice, you stand in our place. You bear the burden of sin and death for us. Your blood opens the door of heaven for us, bringing us peace. We give you thanks and praise for offering yourself for our deliverance. Continue to lead us along your sacrificial pathway. Draw us near, for you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.